Here we go between the goal lines. I'm John Kazar at Kazar NFL on Twitter is where you can find me actively, you know, sometimes aggressively. I get going with my fair share of tweet binges and conversating with people. I try not to argue, and I know social media can be a, a negative place, but uh, I'm joined here for my first official episode of uh, Between the Goal Lines with Anthony Tresh, who's with PFF. Anthony, how are you, my friend? Doing well. How you doing? I'm, I'm very well during, you know, what we're considering here tough times, but, you know, in my line of work, in, which is a regular radio host for a morning show every day, and plus I do some NFL stuff, so uh, I'm busy, and how about you? Oh, yeah, definitely staying busy, getting ready for the draft, diving deep into all these prospects. Yeah, the draft is uh, going to be next week, and we're going to be talking all about it. And it's one of those things, I mean, you can start doing work on this in, like, October of last year, and here we are. All of that has been accumulated into this moment, and I'm going to get your opinions on a lot of stuff. But first of all, I mean, this is the whole virtual idea of the draft coming up. What do you think about that, and uh, how do you think it's going to go response-wise? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And I, you know, hearing at some of these GMs, you know, supporting the idea of, you know, extending the draft just so, you know, because they know they're going to end up making mistakes somewhere down the line. And, you know, I've seen people bounce back and forth with the trade situation. Some people think they'll be more and more apt to, to trade something. They just don't even want to bother with the communication aspect of it because they're afraid, you know, they'll miss out on something. So, I mean, it's definitely going to be, it's, it's basically like a trial and error thing. I mean, it's, going to be interesting to see how everyone handles it across the league but i'm excited for it i think it's going to be you know at times like this this is really going to you know kind of brighten the mood and the spirits because this is life-changing stuff for all these young you know former collegiate athletes becoming you know multimillionaires. so i mean finally getting to the nfl pursuing their dreams so i think it's definitely going to be interesting but not as bad as what some people might think yeah a couple things first off the fact we've had no sports now for the better part of a month and when this something like this comes up, anyways, people love the draft. Now more than ever, all eyes are going to be on this because it's some content that people can soak up without anything else on lately. So I think it'll be a huge boost in ratings, personally. For sure, yeah. I'd have to agree with that. So you work uh, as an analyst for Pro Football Focus. Uh, I adore those guys, all the work they do. And, you know, I stick by a lot of their numbers because I know that you guys put in the hard work and there's a lot of people that just observe stuff and and make opinions on Twitter. And we're not going to get into that. But I saw your name tied into an ESPN article. Do you work for ESPN as well? Yes. So that's just a contract we have with ESPN. So they like our stuff. So every once in a while, we'll have some of our analysts uh, write an article for them and then we'll see it up on PFF.com a few days after. But it's a good um, partnership we have with them. And you know, we both like each other's content, so it's a good thing to work out there. But, yeah, I have noticed every once in a while some people will see, uh, will remove the PFF part of that so it makes it look like I'm ESPN, but I'm full-time <laughs> PFF. I, got, I had to clarify that real quick. And before we get into all the nuts and bolts of this, which is all the players in the draft and what we can expect, uh, how long have you been working for Pro Football Focus? Yeah, full-time now for a year. I'm senior college analyst primarily, but I was, of course, dabbling in the draft and NFL. Um, just because, I mean, right now that's the topic of discussion and, you know, there's nothing better than the draft. And that's really what brought me to PSF was the draft. I mean, it's, it's my favorite event of the year. And it's, like I said, it's life changing stuff. So it's a lot of fun. It is. No, it builds the foundation of NFL rosters. Now, with that being said, we know, I think uh, only a third of NFL rosters were drafted or something like that. And that's just because there's just a lot of undrafted free agents and volume, but you know, the foundation of a team more or less is built from the draft. You can agree with that, right? Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, looking at it from like the numbers perspective, there's 
you know, a lot of undervalued players, mostly from small schools. I mean, we, you see it all the time, especially at the cornerback position and running backs too. I mean, for one reason, I mean, there's more defensive backs on the field, more opportunity for them. And then at the running back position, it's because, you know, it's a pretty invaluable position and it can be replaceable as anything, you know, with any pretty much undrafted guy. I think there's a pretty small margin between guys like, you know, Saquon Barkley and Raheem Mostert and what they bring to the table for the team as far as value generated. But we all know that that PFF goes that route now. Yeah, no, absolutely. We're going to get right to this draft. You have a 2020 draft um, next Thursday. We're looking forward to it. And, you know, it's... Here, well, I, I want to just kind of like talk about both of our top fives real quick before we get into some of the QBs, and that might be a longer discussion, um, as it always is every year. It's the most prime position in the NFL. I got Joe Burrow number one. I got Chase Young at number two. I think the one-two right there combo is is inevitable. Again, you may have different opinions. I have Okuda, Jeff Okuda, cornerback at number three for Detroit. Number four, I have Isaiah Simmons, the stud jack-of-all-trades linebacker from Clemson. Number five, I do have Tua going to Miami. What do you think about that? Do you agree with it? And what differences? Yeah, I would say I agree with everything. I would say the Giants, I think they might be leaning tackle. Um, and I really would not be surprised if it's a guy like Mekhi Becton, even though I really don't think that should be, you know, what they do. I think Isaiah Simmons definitely is the better route to go with the fourth overall pick. But I mean, looking at Mekhi Becton, I mean, he's really just an unproven type of guy. And he's pretty much all potential and you don't want to draft on potential too early in the draft. I mean, especially not fourth overall, no. but I definitely think that's the, that's the route they might be going. And he just kind of has, he looks the part, you know, you see him on the sideline, you think this guy's probably pretty good, but then you see him when he's actually, you know, in his true past that's So, you know, no screen plays, no play action. You know, that's what a lot of the Louisville offense was. You know, we had 73 of those true passes this past year and let up eight pressures on those. I mean, that's a very concerning rate. And so I wouldn't think that's what they should do at four, but I would say right now that might be the most likely scenario. Sure. No, I like that. That's good stuff right there, that 8 out of 70, 73 or 72, because it really goes to show, you know, a sample size that it's enough to say there's there's definitely some concerns. Becton just like a chiseled monster, um, kind of like a frame maybe of a Tyron Smith, but definitely not nowhere near as, as seasons even coming out of college. As Tyron, what Tyron was, you know, I think uh, one of the best tackle prospects in a long time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would have to agree with that. And I think, you know, we will probably see more instances of teams drafting on potential too that are in the top ten. That's not fourth overall, like Justin Herbert. I mean, we're hearing rumors and perhaps maybe some smoke screens with the Dolphins and all of that, and even some with the Bengals. You know, them saying that they might be, you know, if they're blown away at the trade offer. Um, I believe Peter King was the one that said that, that a few people within the organization like Justin Herbert. But I think, you know, considering that, I think he will end up going top 10, but I think he fits the Beckton mold. I think he's just, you know, you don't want to draft on potential too early. And I don't even think he's worth taking in the first round. Right, right. No, absolutely. And so you'd rather have a guy like Andrew Thomas or Tristan Wirfs if you're going to take a tackle that early? Oh, for sure. I mean, when you're looking at these guys, I mean, it's, incomparable how, how much better a guy like Andrew Thomas was. I mean, this past year, he was one of the three highest graded offensive tackles in the entire college, entire FBS. I mean, he was remarkable whether he's on pass protection or run blocking. And our uh, analytics guys, George Shahuri and Dr. Eric Eager, they love Tristan Wirfs. The data points to Tristan Wirfs, and he, they think he, he's going to project very well from college to pro. So those two guys definitely by far. And Jedrick Wills, too. I know Mike Renner, I was on a call our lead draft analyst the other day, 
and he was just raving about this guy and how much he liked about him and that he wanted to keep him, you know, within that top 12 picks on our next big board that's coming out here pretty soon. So I think um, any of those three guys are probably better guys. And even Josh Jones of Houston, I would throw him above Mekhi Beckton too. And wow. You know, he had one of the best seasons this past year. He, had, he produced one of the highest grades we've ever given to a group of five tackle. And so I think he's another undervalued guy that's better than Mekhi Beckton. And really, if we're talking where we think he should go, where we would take him, it would probably be somewhere in that middle of the second round range just because of that size and athleticism. Good. And we're talking some good stuff here. Linemen who are sometimes, uh, you know, the forgotten piece that moves a lot of the offense. I, I will never forget this, that an offensive line is just about half of an offense on the field making things happen with five guys. So very important. I, and real quick, I just wanted to say, you know, I, I think drafting a lineman top 10 is, we talk about it and all the analysts do, it's not a sexy pick, but sometimes very necessary. And for the Giants, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I think that's definitely something they need to be doing. And really, the only reason why they shouldn't is just because Isaiah Simmons is an absolute freak. I mean, he he's an absolute he's a playmaker, really. And he's going to be, he should be used kind of like Derwin James and Jamal Adams. I mean, he fits the mold of that type of role within a defense. And he kind of had that this past year, of course. I mean, he was one of three players to line up over 100 times on the line, in the box, in the slot, or playing deep safety. And he was the only one of those three players to really find any success at all whatsoever. I mean, he, whether, you know, he was defending the run or he was in coverage, his tackling, I mean, everything. As a blitzer, he produced a PSF grade above 80.0 in every facet of play. And that's pretty rare to see. He was the only, I guess, considered off-ball linebacker to do that last year, even though he's kind of just a defensive player, I like to say. So I think, you know, that's the only reason why is when you have a difference maker like that why you really shouldn't but then you're looking at kind of like the cleveland browns at 10 there, there's no isaiah simmons that are going to be on the board at that point in time and they're pretty set at wide receiver with jarvis landry and odell beckham jr so i mean they're going to go left tackle there they have to go left tackle there and they made a great decision in signing jack conklin i think he's going to be a great fit in kevin's defancy scheme but i i kind of liked andrew thomas there at number 10 for the cleveland browns i think they're one that really can't pass off the tackle all right, we're going to shift here because we have less than 15 minutes and I have six main topics I want to get through. Number one, this is my favorite, wide receiver, uh, as deep as a class. I don't want to say ever, but it's a very, very deep class, and uh, there's a lot of value we'll see on day two especially. But I want to talk about the top guns, where you rank the first four, and maybe if you have a fifth one that's deserving of a first-round pick as well. We got we got Jerry Judy, we got CeeDee Lamb, we have uh, Henry Ruggs, who's a tough one. A lot of people think he can even go first off the board for a wide receiver. Number four, Justin Jefferson. That That's my like core four. So you want to talk about those and maybe any others who you think are deserving of being a part of a top-flight tier for wide receivers this year? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, this, this draft class for wide receivers is absolutely historic. I mean, it's one of the best I've ever seen when looking at some of these guys. And I think after the third wide receiver, there's a little bit of a drop-off there. I think Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Henry Ruggs, I think those guys are all top 10 prospects in the entire draft, regardless of position. I mean, those guys are difference makers for their team. And then after that, Instead of Justin Jefferson, I would probably have LaVisca Chenault. And, you know, he does have some injury history that teams are worried about. And, you know, it kind of hurt him this past offseason when we did, you know, they were doing at the combine and everything like that. However, he is an absolute difference maker with the ball in his hands. That's really all you need to have. If you get him the ball in his hands, you can see how electric and explosive of a player he is. I mean, over the last two years, 
been a top five receiver in college football as far as PFF grade goes, and he's broken an SBS high 44 tackles. I mean, over wow. seven yards after catch per reception. I mean, he has been insane, and I think yeah, I think he will fall down a lot of boards. Right now, we would have him in the top 20 and in, in that fourth spot for wide receivers. But I'm really hoping he falls to a team maybe like the Baltimore Ravens down in the uh, tw- I believe it's pick 28. I think that could be a, a great fit for him, and I think. You know, Greg Roman and that offense would really love to have him in there because he, I mean, he's going to be a huge, a great addition to any screen game, and he's going to be lethal on jet sweeps. So I think he he's one to look out for. Um, I'm kind of curious to see how much of those injuries are really going to bring him down. But as for us, even with the injuries, he's our wide receiver number four. All right, here we go. Fast moving and, and really to the point there. Thank you so much. So LaVisca Chanel going to round out your top five. That's that's some good stuff. How about running back? So it's an interesting year. Not a lot of years from here forward. I think we'll we'll be highly touting running backs in the first round period. But you got a lot of talent up front. I think three or four really, uh, I don't want to say game-changing guys, but guys you can give the ball to 20 to 30 times a game and they can make some things happen. I like DeAndre Swift as my running back number one. A lot of people like uh, Jonathan Taylor. First of all, uh, do you think a running back will be drafted in the first round and second, it's a big two-part question. Should a running back be drafted? It, again, it would be late in the first round. Yeah, I do think we'd have to agree with you. We we right now have DeAndre Swift as our running back number one, and I would be I'd be kind of surprised if one of these top running backs did not go at the end of the first round. And I'm kind of worried with the Dolphins. They're at pick 26. I think that's possibly one if they stay in pat at number five. Don't trade up. I could see them taking a running back. And to answer that second half of that question, there shouldn't be a running back to come off the board until round three at the absolute earliest. And even then, you have to talk about a guy that's going to really generate some value in the receiving game. A guy like DeAndre Swift can. I think that's what really separates guys you know, like the Alvin Kamaras, Christian McCaffrey, and even Austin Eckler. I mean, he got a pretty good contract this past year. They moved on from Melvin Gordon, the Chargers, that is, for him. And I think you really, if you want to get a good running back, you can't just look at how they perform with the ball in their hands on a run play. You have to look at what they bring to the table in the receiving game because that's what generates value the most. And it, it's really, really rare to see a running back worth taking any, anywhere earlier than round three. If you have a running back on a passing, this is a very av- or, uh, you know, out there question. It's kind of generic. If you have a running back uh, there on a passing down, what percent of the time is he running a route versus blocking? And even at the best blocking running backs, uh, is it like uh, two to one? They're 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 going out on a route, or is it even higher than that? You know, I would say that's pretty a pretty fair assumption. I mean, granted, it always changes with offenses, and you know, some of these guys are far more productive on a per route basis. I mean, looking at guys that are obviously running more routes is like Christian McCaffrey. He ran far more routes than anyone, almost a hundred more than any other running back last year. You know, so it definitely just depends on the type of player that is and how, you know, how productive they were on a per route basis. Like Austin Eckler, for example, he averaged a little over 2.7 yards per route run. And for a wide receiver, that's pretty good. And for a running back, that's absurd. I mean, that's <laughs> flat out astonishing to see. I mean, the next best was down at 2.3 yards per route. And after that, it was down in the 1.9 range. So, I mean, it really just all depends. And, you know, like I said, you have those guys like McCaffrey, Kamara, Eckler. They're going to be willing to put them out there, you know, with the Chargers there. If they had, you know, when they were playing Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler, you obviously know if Eckler's in the field, good chance it's going to be a pass play and vice versa. 
Sure. All right, here we go. We're going to broaden the scope, and then we're going to dive into some specific players hopefully you have on hand for us. What team, and just give me one, and there may be multiple, really needs a good draft this year? Yeah, and I would say the Minnesota Vikings. I think they really need a good draft just because in free agency, they cut Xavier Rhodes, which was a great decision. They let Trey Waynes walk through, and considering the amount he got paid from the Bengals, that was a pretty good decision. But they also let McKenzie Alexander walk for next to nothing. And right now, looking at their cornerback unit, it's, I mean, it's pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, Colton Hill and Mike Hughes isn't going to get the job done. No, and they have two first round picks right now. And I think right now, I mean, it's a given one of them has to be a cornerback. And I would even say both of them need to be a cornerback because wow. they are seriously hurting in that area. No, I mean, that that's saying a lot there. And I know that's how that's how the need is. I mean, Chris Boyd, are we unproven there yet? I mean, some of these guys, I like Mike Hughes' potential. Was he a rookie just a couple of years ago? So yeah, and he he was a poor performer last year. I mean, he had a PFF coverage grade below sixty point oh, getting into that poor area. So I mean, it's not you don't want to give up on him, but I mean, I'm not sure if you could fully trust him on the field for you every down. No, uh, there's no, and I forgot that the Vikings had two first rounders. You can almost assure one of them is going to be a cornerback, maybe, and you know, maybe two, maybe two. You got to double your chances. I mean, it's that important. They seem to flow very well offensively when Cooks healthy in there. The pressures uh, on the Kirk Cousins were, were halved um, from 2018 to 2019, so the line did their job a little better. The line play is very, you know, dynamic though from year to year, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, two corners, I think, and and so that'd be very important for the Minnesota Vikings. They're your team, and you answered with a good team, because I mean, we could talk about bottom feeder teams, how they need to have a good draft to somehow be competitive in the future, but I was talking you know, about a team that was kind of fringy that, you know, once once they do have a good draft, they're, they're set for maybe, maybe a Super Bowl run potentially. And I think you hit it on the head with the Minnesota Vikings, man. Yeah, and if I had to say another one, definitely the Las Vegas Raiders. I think they're probably sitting in the best spot possible of any of the 32 teams, excluding the Miami Dolphins, of course, is what they have. But considering who they have on their team and roster right now, and where they sit with the 12th overall pick and the 19th overall pick, thanks to the Chicago Bears, I think they can really make some moves to really get one of those top three wide receivers I was saying, and either Jerry Judy, Jimmy Lamb, or Henry Ruggs. And also, if they get Christian Fulton at 19, I think that could be a huge, huge win for them. Cool. I got one more essay-type question, and uh, the other two are going to be just kind of per, you know personal likes that you have here in the draft in specific spots. But uh, Jalen Hurts. Enigma, how do you see him panning out as quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, and we were talking about this yesterday, actually, some of the analysts here, and we were uh, ironing out our big board. He's been a riser, and I think at this point you can consider him in in the second round. And looking at his production, it projects very well to the NFL. I mean, he has produced great numbers across the board. And granted, this came in the the Big 12, which you typically see from those types of players, and didn't produce a whole lot of big-time throws. But he had a very promising wins above average met number, and that's a metric we hear developed this past year. It's basically war wins above replacement before the college level. And I think that's a really promising sign for his future, and he brings a lot to the table as far as a runner goes. And I think you can kind of use him like uh, the Buffalo Bills did with Tyrod Taylor a few years ago, and I think that's what we'll see again this year from the Chargers with Anthony Lynn. Uh, But that's another topic of discussion. And I think what we're really concerned about is his mechanics. And Last year, too, he had a very slow time to throw. I mean, it was the slowest in college football by over two-tenths. It was right around 3.1 seconds, which is kind of alarming 
when you're, you know, projecting them to the NFL because you're definitely not going to get that in the NFL. You're not going to get those types of clean pockets and you're not going to necessarily see some of the open receivers he did with CeeDee Lamb out there against some of those really poor secondaries. And he had kind of had a long, um, slow release to a bit of a windup. And I think, you know, that's one of our concerns. But oh, that, that's what I thought you meant at first was, was you know, he has a slow or slow time. So it's two things. One is actual release time is slow, and, and, and also he had a lot of time to throw in general. So those mm-hmm. things, you're not, it's not like, okay, well, with that, we, it doesn't mean he projects bad for the NFL. It just means we, we these are like, it could be caution signs almost, uh, you know, to put it bluntly. <laughs> You never yeah, know with him. Precisely. Yeah. And I would be more confident in taking Jalen Hurts or even Anthony Gordon in round two or three than drafting, you know, Justin Herbert or Jordan Love in the, somewhere in the first round. Sure. Hey, two more questions for you. It's uh, Anthony Tresh joining us from Pro Football Focus. Anthony, I always wanted to work for Pro Football Focus. And then I realized that the kind of grinding you have to do with all the tape. So I do respect your position and where you are right now, by the way. Just wanted to say. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Who's your overall favorite prospect? Maybe probably a virtual gem in your eyes. Ooh, I mean, of course I have to say Joe Burrow just because, I mean, looking at some of his data, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, there's been numerous times where I went back and rechecked everything, you know, recalculated some stuff because I thought it was flat out wrong <laughs> because that's how much off the scale he was. As far as, I mean, everything. And going back to that wins above average metric I mentioned earlier with uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, Joe Burrow this year, I mean, he shattered the record. I mean, since 2014, when PFF College started and we started grading every single college player on every single play, there have been 60,000 player seasons recorded. And Joe Burrow ranked first in that wins above average metric among all those seasons in 2019. And he sat around uh, 2.9 wins above average. And for perspective, the next best after him was at 2.3. So, I mean, there was a pretty considerable gap from him and everyone else. But uh, as far as the kind of a sleeper goes, I'm a really big fan of Tyler Johnson. He's been sliding down a lot of boards. I've seen some people say he's even nothing more than a sixth or seventh round pick. And I'm sitting here thinking, I mean, he is, in my opinion, a mid-second round pick. And Granted, his athleticism is nothing that you're going to be impressed with. We all knew he was going to run a slow 40 time, and he didn't even end up doing it at the Combine. He was going to bank on his pro day. But that obviously couldn't uh, happen with what's going on. Yeah, a lot of guys, a lot of guys are getting shafted because of no pro days. But that's going to be up for front offices to evaluate from there, you know. But right, yeah, no, I just want to say I'm looking at yeah, no, this this Joe Burrow thing, and and I'll let you finish off on Tyler Johnson if you'd like to in a second. But uh, I mean, you saw it a month before he won the national championship, and you did a a nice little video montage of throws from Joe Burrow and said, "Imagine taking a non QB over Joe Burrow with the first overall pick in the draft." Well, (laughs) if you were a team that already had a QB. But he wasn't, even if he was mediocre, you'd still consider taking Joe Burrow. That's how good he is, huh? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I mean, if it was, you know, the Redskins, the Lions, or even the Giants, if they had the first overall pick, it would be, I mean, it would be an easy decision for me personally to have Joe Burrow be the first overall pick just because he, had, what he did last year was remarkable. And some people are even saying, you know, what about 2018? Why didn't he have this type of season? And he's getting up there in age and he was aided by, his supporting cast and great play caller. And, you know, all, all of that might be true, but he was still a good quarterback in 2018 when he finally got the opportunity. I mean, he was still top 15 as far as positively graded throws generated and negatively graded throws, limiting those. I mean, he just kind of had a few errant decisions when under duress, but he greatly improved upon that. His pocket presence was unreal in 2019, and he just showed great poise in a collapsing pocket. You know, bodies would be flying at him, 
and he would just light off a dime with ease. I mean, it did not bother him at all, and that was just kind of his downfall of the 2018 season. So I will say to all the non-believers out there, I would definitely get on board with this guy. Yeah, went went in there, or or, or I should say just protection-wise for both teams, would you say LSU, who still has a solid line, uh, their line wasn't as protective as Alabama's was for Tua? Yeah, and looking at, you know, you know Joe Brady's scheme, he had an interesting one, and he used a lot of five-man protections, and he's been vocal as to using those because it actually limits the amount of pressure the quarterback sees. You would think if you have, you know, six or seven pass blockers in there, you know, it, you're going to limit more pressure or less pressure than five-man protections, but it's actually the opposite. You let up a lot less pressure when you have five-man protections out there and have more guys running routes because there's more guys to defend. So you have typically less pass rushers, and you can deliver a quicker pass. Right. You know, so that's really – and so that, that really did help him. And he, Joe Burrow even said, and he publicly, you know, this offense helped me. This is the type of offense I wanted to run. This was the one, you know, going back to high school that I really like to be a part of. And they kind of played to his strengths. And, you know, that kind of is what the Cincinnati Bengals do already. You know, there are some tweaks they could change to really – continue to play to his strengths, but I think he is going to a good a good offense and bringing back a you know AJ Green, pairing him up with Tyler Boyd. And I think they could use they, there's still a lot to, a lot of work to be done clearly across the board. But I do think down the in the in the long run, I do think Zach Taylor will uh, you know play to his strengths and have a good offense for him. Beautiful. It's Anthony Tresh joining us from Pro Football Focus on this first episode ever of Between the Goal Lines. I'm John Kazar. Um, Kazar NFL is my Twitter handle, and Anthony, yours is at PFF underscore Anthony, correct? Yes, sir. I got you. I got you. I'm going to get your following up even more, okay? Awesome. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we chatted once before, and uh, I thought I'd have you on for, for this opening episode with, with the draft right around the corner, and I hope to speak with you maybe in a few months, okay? Absolutely. Get back to work, big guy. Thanks for all your opinions, okay? All right, and facts as well. These guys at PFF do a lot of stuff, a lot of numbers that are raw data, and we appreciate it. Uh, John Kazar for Between the Goal Lines. We'll see you next episode.